Hello and welcome to the Vorthos cast. I'm Jay and Ellie. I'm Lorelai Weissel. I'm Brian Dawes. I'm Cristolano. And I'm Carrie Thomas. And today we're talking about Commander Legends, part one. So we're going to run through the legends in Commander Legends uh, in the same way that the articles by Ari Zirulnik and uh, Ethan Fleischer uh, tackle them. Uh, just just for ease. Uh, otherwise, you know, it, it, it'd get a little little more complicated. So you can uh, hop on to that article, which we will link in the show notes, and follow along. So with that, let's go ahead and get started, because we have a lot of legends to cover today. Uh, yeah, so we're going to start with uh, two legends, uh, because, you know, most of this is going to be in alphabetical order, but I got cranky about it because... You can't really talk about Elena without talking about Helena. So our first two cards are Elena Kessig Trapper and whatever Helena's epithet is. I don't remember. They are lesbians, first and foremost. Uh, some might even say partners in work and life. And uh, <laughs> they are from Innistrad. Uh, they, we saw them in the Shadows over Innistrad story where... They tended to keep humans safe from werewolves and then ended up fighting alongside the werewolves against Emrakul. And that's basically all we know about them. Um, But they're lesbians and they have cards now and it's cute and gay. And that's the important part. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, They are two partners who work really well together, both in the story and in the game. Uh, Our next legendary creature is Amareth the Lustrous. Amareth is a dragon from an unknown plane as of so far, and the dragons on that plane, as they age, their scales turn into crystals, which I think is really cool. Uh, Amareth is also a bant-colored commander, as well as a uh, nice dragon, which is very unusual. Apparently, she will, if you stumble upon her lair, and you don't try and take anything, of course, she'll show you parts of her collection she thinks are pretty neat. And I think that's just a wholesome dragon friend. She's a big nerd. <laughs> and she's a show-off, too. <laughs> uh, so our next person is, our next legend is Belby, Corrupted Observer. Uh, Belby's first original name was Avila, as she was the child of Eladomri. She was killed while he was away um, at a raid. No, wait, that might have been when he was meeting Gerard and the crew of the Weatherlight. Regardless, um, she's killed via an, uh, the assassin, I believe it's Rathi assassin um, card, and she's killed in her sleep using a ridiculous poison, and her body is claimed and taken to Phyrexia, where she is completed and returned to be the Eye of Yawgmoth as they are trying to determine who should be the next Invicar of Wrath. Basically, there's a contest between Urtai, um, Krovax, and... Who is it? Grevin? Yes. She eventually is trying to help Urtai win, and all that stuff doesn't matter. I'm just here for the Eladomri reference. Like, I, <laughs> I'm just going to be real here. <laughs> She's parlaying with Eladomri in the planning room, and uh, a portal opens, and Eladomri escapes through it with uh, Stark. No, Stark's daughter, Takara. There you go. Um, and as they're leaving, 
uh, Eladomri throws a little bit of the poison that was left over from the assassin that initially killed her, and it killed her instantly. That's one heck of a poison. Um, and that can be shown in the art of uh, Belby's Portal. Yeah. Um, I'll also note that Nemesis was like a really fucking good novel. I had read it way back when, when I was cataloging it, and Belby's like the best character in the entire novel. <laughs> um, I wasn't crazy about the Wrath or the Wrath or Weatherlight era novels in general up until Invasion starts, but yes, has my endorsement. Belby's been a character that people have been asking for a card for for a long time because that partly because that novel was so re- well so well received. I can do words. Um, and uh, also well received is uh, the art on this card uh, because I am a lesbian. And uh... <laughs> it is a good looking card. That novel came out 20 years ago. To give you an idea of how deep the cuts are for the lore, uh, Belby has been a character for over 20 years and is just now getting a card. Yeah, Belby, before Magic Origins and the influx of Vorthos fans there, if you wanted to ask for like top five characters that you wanted a card for, Belby would usually show up on that. So after Belby, we're going to talk about Blim, who is an impishly funny Rakdos character. Uh, there's not a whole lot to say here. One one neat thing about Blim is that we don't get very many of Ravnica's uh, intelligent imps in uh, in cards. I would have loved to have like a Pivlik, who's probably the most famous Ravnican imp from the original novels. He was in all three. Uh, but, you know, this is cool, too. There's not really much else to say. He's a new character. I just want to clarify uh, for, for the people on the podcast. Uh if you look at the character's name on the agenda, there's a good chance that I um I did not put the actual card name on the agenda. Blim's card is Uh-oh. Blim, comedic genius. Uh, I was just reading from your list, Chris. I want that on the record. Well, you know, uh, the next card we're going to talk about. Uh, wait, is wait, actually... wait, hold up. I just want to confirm that Jay is... Uh, Ron Burgundy, because he'll read anything that you put in front of him. Just, just so we're, put, we're clear. We're... Oh, believe me, I am very well aware of that, and may have taken advantage of it in the past <laughs> and in the future. Anyways, our next cards are uh, another pair that we've put together, and it's Breaches, Brazen Plunderer, and Malcolm, Keen-Eyed Navigator. Uh, these are a pair of pirates from the Ixalan story. They served on the crew uh, of the Belligerent, uh, Vraska's ship. And as far as I'm concerned, are the rightful owners of Orozca and should be their uh, co-rulers <laughs> of the Golden City. That's just my opinion, because we know in reality, the vote went to the way of the dinosaur writers. And uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, like, that's all fine and good and stuff. But like, come on. These are like two of the coolest pirates ever. It's Breaches, who is a goblin pirate, and Malcolm, who is a siren pirate. And uh, they can be your partners together, and they work really well together because they are partners in work and life. Legit, though, both of these cards are really, really, really cool. And there's, like, a three-card infinite combo you can do in a Malcolm deck with, like, uh, Penman Zora or Fruit from the Real and Pirate Ship. Uh, because <laughs> it, it counts any damage. These cards count any damage, not just combat damage. So if you if you have a way to untap a pirate ship for one blue mana, you can ping, make a treasure, sack the treasure for a blue, untap the pirate ship, 
until everyone around you is dead. And I think that's cool as hell. So Malcolm is the navigator on the belligerent. Breaches, it's not entirely clear what he does. I just have kind of assumed he's the swabby. <laughs> he's, he's the plunderer on the ship. Sure, sure. They're all plunderers. But there are a few other crew members that I would love to see. Uh, these two are the most prominent because they're the ones who end up going inland with Vraska. Uh, or following later, uh, after Vraska and Jace go inland. Uh, but there is Kerrigan, uh, the orc, who is the cook for the belligerent. Amelia, the quartermaster. And Gavin, the boatswain. I, I really hope we get a Vraska card someday. I really liked her as a character. That would be lovely. A Vraska card that could actually be the captain of a belligerent deck. So, next up is a card that I never thought I would speak these words in my entire life. I hate this. <laughs> Brinolin the Mooncracken, who is <gasps> an in-the-teeth-of-a-coom character. So let me explain some backstory here. In the Teeth of a Coom is a novel that once was published. You could call it that. Some have called it a novel, yes. It is okay. Uh, if, if Ashley were on or Jenny were on, they would be getting very mad. Oh no, right I'm, I'm infuriated that you're not giving it <laughs> enough credit, but go ahead. Um, so Brynolin is a character that they encounter when they're making the crossing from, I think it's, uh, is it Tazim or Andu that they're crossing? I think it's Andu. Oh, it doesn't matter where they're crossing. <laughs> they're just crossing a body of water. They're crossing a body of water and on the shores of a coom. They are accosted by this giant moon kraken who had a friendship with the Tajuru elf leader, Speaker Sutina. Uh, so they give Brynolin the bad news that Sutina has perished. Uh, and Brynolin ends up letting them pass without crushing, crushing their ship. Uh, Brynolin knew is, is probably somewhere around 6,000 years old because he knew Soren. Uh, recognized Soren and was afraid, appropriately afraid of Soren, as if Soren might be, still be an old walker, because Brynolin didn't know that he was no longer that strong. But anyway, I never thought I would hear of this character again, because at the time, it was kind of assumed that Brynolin was just an early version of Lorthos. That seemed to be confirmed with the Zendikar art book where the friendship with Speaker Sutina was part of Lorthos's backstory. So color me surprised when I saw this card name for the first time. Uh, and very also confused. But that's just a, a, a neat bit of lore there. I, you know, it's, it's, I'm never going to be mad that we get a, uh, a deep cut reference like that. Uh, for a neat card. But yeah, it was just something I was completely shocked about. It is baffling because we've seen a lot of other successful independent characters that were introduced in a novel and then never used again. And they all end up like Feather, um, kind of a staple of the original Ravnica trilogy, only just got a card and more of the spark. It's like you kind of reward those fan favorite characters, but... Brynolin and in the teeth of a coom in general. <laughs> Not fan favorite. <laughs> yeah, both of Robert Wintermute's work for magic, which is, of course, a pen name, but, um, like, they're all unpopular. The books are kind of openly mocked in Vorthos communities, but, like, it also holds some sentimental value to me because it was the, one of the first magic novels that I read. 
Um, it kind of set the bar for every other magic novel that I read, but, you know. <laughs> Certainly set a bar. Whether or not that bar was high uh, hey, is another. Look, the most important part is that if you like mediocre magic novels, you can have a uh, a partner commander deck with Renalyn and Silas Wren. So. Oh, oh God. Silas is technically in the comics and not just exclusively from Test of Metal. I'll remind you all, but yeah. Yes, yes, please. Uh, Silas kicked Tezzeret's ass, and I'm never going... I'm, I will always love him for that. Anyway, uh, Kolfinor, The Last You. So this is another interesting one. If if more ca- people cared about Lorwyn, there'd be more of a a, a, a clamor about this one. I want to go back. I want to go back. I, I I will step up to bat for Lorwyn, which are words I never thought I would mm. ever say. Uh, because this set does have a ton of Lorwyn throwbacks. It's it's cool. Actually. And yeah, uh, like people at Wizards know. That there is a very passionate fan base for Lorwyn, just like there's a passionate fan base for Kamigawa. And even if we don't go back, they threw those people a lot of bones. Like, a lot of bones in this set. You could say they threw them a stick because of the, the last U. That's actually really insulting to Treefolk. Kolfinor is... Uh... Well, basically, he was uh, like a slightly shiftier Deku tree, for those of you who know Legend of Zelda. Uh, <laughs> he's a shiftier Deku tree who sends uh, the Link analog, Reese the Redeemed, who comes from a group of, ra- of racist elves. I have to interrupt because I, now I just have a mental image of like the Deku tree, but he also chain smokes. <laughs> oh my god. This is very funny to me. So anyway, Kolfinor, uh, Kolfinor dies, I believe, right before the um, uh, Great Aurora, uh, and his sapling appears in the Shadowmoor side of things uh, after Lorwyn transforms into this darker world, and that's what Kolfinor had been planning for. But we never got a Kolfinor card himself. We only got his saplings. Uh, so just like an Ocarina of Time, uh, it was like if you only get the future timeline version. Uh, that's a I, I got to stop making the Ocarina of Time <laughs> comparisons. Anyway, so Kolfinor is kind of cool for those who are avid uh, fans of Lorwyn. This is this is really a treat because this is one of the major characters from the block that did not get a card the first time around. It it's pronounced tree. There's no T on the end. So the next one is uh, Elegeth Crossroads Augur. This is one of a number of uh, plain agnostic cards that pepper the set. So there's not a whole lot of lore to talk about with them. But there's a cool, uh, it's it's a cool card. I mean, scry- drawing a card instead of scrying is is very nice. Uh, you're not, you're not, like, the, okay, but the cool thing about Elegeth is, like, the, it's, the lore blur- blurb explains that, like, Elegeth always exists five minutes in the future, uh, which I think is cool. And like, you know, they talk about the, like, so ma- magic has embraced the sphinxes are like smart and cryptic stuff. You know, the riddle they've taken the riddle of the sphinx and just like extrapolated that in to many different directions. And so, what makes Elegeth this kind of cryptic sphinx is that because they're always five minutes in the future. Um, they always know how your conversation with them is going to go. 
um, and thus it's not very interesting for them, so they act bored a lot, and thus they're hard to talk to because they're not really interested in what you have to say because they already know what you were going to say. And uh, I, that's just, I, I think that's like just like a really cute little meta, metaphysical explanation for why a sphinx could be cryptic. Uh, I think that's cool. I think we should probably spend the rest of the podcast discussing how minutes are measured in the multiverse no. and whether they correspond with our minutes uh, and how well, they're measured. It depends. Are you on Ixalan or Dominaria? All right. Right click boot carry from the conversation. <laughs> All right. So, uh, okay. Who put Gamzee Makara in here? All right. Moving on. <laughs> Ghost of. See, I'm 99% sure that's a Homestuck name, but I don't know for. I don't know anything about. I, I was like just slightly too old for Homestuck. Just, uh, just leave it in the podcast. Someone will tell you. Oh, God, did I just say something that's going to embarrass <laughs> no, me later? Just, just keep. I can confirm it as a Homestuck. <laughs> All right, Ghost of Ramirez de, uh, de Pietro. So, Ramirez is a very interesting choice here. This is the only card from the original Legends in Commander Legends to get a second card. Now, there are related cards like Ragrak, son of Ragra, uh, but, and I, I love <laughs> pronouncing it like that. Ramirez is interesting because his blurb here fixes some continuity issues, especially keeping him as a ghost pirate. So, uh, but it also adds some new wrinkles to continuity, uh, where he has potentially been around for at least 4,000, 5,000 years, maybe? Possibly? I think Ethan put this in just specifically to mess with, like, me and beer and boar, like, and a few other of us who actually care. Okay, but if you're a ghost, you can be around for 4,000 years. Yes, that's it's true. That's not a problem. So it's, uh, what's, what I nice about, what I like about this backstory is it explains the continuity issues with his backstory, namely, uh, that he is claimed to have been in several different spots that, it, it didn't really work out if that's the way things were, because he would have it would have been separated by like centuries, I believe. He would have had to have been around for centuries for the continuity of that to work. Basically, what happened is the original Legends novels, there were two cycles. Uh one retold the uh comics on who's the 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 Leonin Jedit Jed, Yeah, Jedit O'Janin's story from the old Armada comics. Uh, and the other one told the story of Nicol Bolas's initial death um, at the hands of Tetsuo Umezawa. The issue is, outside of the main characters, uh, n- these books were not, like, checked against one another for continuity. So there are a number of characters that are just completely different characters in both novels, or, and like, the continuity just does not line up at all. So this fixes some of that, kind of. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll note that Clayton Emery has a currently web-archived explanation of his kind of lack of direction. This is going a little bit deeper than we usually do, but his lack of direction from the creative team at the time on which characters he could and couldn't use. So he had initially have written some characters, and then they're like, no, you can't have that character. We have something else planned for them. And then you see that character, and you're like, what? They just never use that character. And then Scott McGuff got to do his trilogy separately. Um, he had 
I mean, he was pretty much an insider or a very, very um, repeat writer for Wizards of the Coast by that time, and had his plan to connect Legends 2 Trilogy pretty cleanly to what would happen in Kamigawa. So we just kind of got a roll with the fact that you kind of got yes and no's for which legendary creatures you could use and then still had some overlap despite pretty strict rules on who you could include in your novel. Yeah, I believe at the time it was it was right around the Odyssey and Onslaught, which obviously if you look at the continuity of those novels, there's also a lot of trouble there and <laughs> with Mirrodin. Uh, and so there just wasn't a ton of direction at the time for the, the novel writers. Not a lot of direction for the people writing the fiction? That's totally <sighs> unheard of. And the, the Never happens. Anyway, moving on. Uh, <laughs> Chris, you're up next. Uh, so our next card is the Ancient Aliens analog of Magic Story. Uh, Gore Moldrak, Amphino- Amphinologist. Um, he is a... Uh, a scientist of sorts, uh, the writer of crypto <laughs> mysteries uh, on Chandelar, uh, as he has uh, been investigating the mysterious, secretive Amphins, uh, who much of Chandelar does not believe exist. Uh, we got two, two total Amphin cards in the entire history of Magic the Gathering. Both of them have flavor text from Gore Muldrak and uh, his crypto histories. And so then they gave us a card for him. Uh, it, do you want to note that they gave us a card for Gore Muldrak, Amphenologist, uh, a set after Zendikar Rising, which featured no Surakar. This is not a coincidence. Just check the facts. Put them together. Amphen or Surakar. Anyways. Um, what? <laughs> yeah. Moving on. That's an unsubstantiated conspiracy theory. Uh-huh. I'm sure you would say that. <laughs> I do want to express a little disappointment in Gore's card. Uh, The Amphin as the secret culture thing was neat when they were introduced in the core set. But uh, his blurb here takes uh, some disappointing turns into David Icke territory. Um, for those who don't know who David Icke is, he is the person who is behind the uh, shape-shifting reptile people are controlling the world and everything. And the problem with that is that is uh, very specifically a pretty anti-Semitic conspiracy theory. And I don't like the similarities here because I don't think they were necessary based on the lore that existed for the Amphin to begin with. But also now hopefully all you listeners out there have learned something about you know, the secret reptile cabal running the world theories and uh, maybe stop making jokes about those because they come from very bad places. Yeah. Now, uh, if you turn turn the page in your uh, visual novel of this episode uh, to the, the full two-page spread of the more you know star. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> yeah, I prefer the... the old interpretation of the crypto histories where it was like the Amphin were a thing that people knew of, just no one knew that they were like secretly advanced technology or whatever. Yeah, there there's like a there's like a difference between the Amphin or like this Atlantis group where like, oh, there's only myths that they exist. They can't really be real, versus the lore we get now, which is that they literally infiltrate cities and erase people's memories because they are building power. And that is 
a little a little little shady not not good i would have rather they have gone like a more of a fox Mulder route our next card is jessica thrice reborn um this is jessica's first planeswalker card and i'm very happy about it uh so jessica is the sister of kamal uh who in this set is has the title of heart of crosa jessica starts off as a Partic druid or Partic barbarian in otaria She's a sort of lightning mage who, like, was known for throwing hairpins at people and electrocuting the hairpins. So, kind of like Kaminari off of My Hero Academia. Um, but, uh, basically, she uh, gets into a fight with Kamal um, about random things. And Kamal, in in a fit of rage and like that was exacerbated by the Mirari... Stabs her with an attack that wasn't, it was a, basically a coward's blow. He didn't, he wasn't trying to kill her. He was trying to wound her in his rage. And the Mirari caused the wound to cause her an immense amount of pain, but not actually kill her. Um, so he carries her off to be healed by Sedan the Druid, who Centaur Druid that he knows, who has a card in Odyssey Block. Um, but Sedan is found by Braids, Cabal Minion, and uh, he kill or she kills Sedan and steals Jessica, who is on who's near death. And then the Cabal Patriarch goes to kill her, and he turns her into Phage, the Untouchable, which is her uh, first uh, touch of Infinity. Right, that was the her first rebirth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thrice touched by infinity, it doesn't fit on the card. So <laughs> they went with Thrice Reborn. <laughs> yeah. So uh, she becomes the Cabal matriarch of sorts and is known for her killing touch in the arena uh, where she kills Ixidor's uh, would-be wife because they were trying to fight one last fight and ha- get the funds so they could stop pit fighting. But they get they have the unfortunate of fighting against Phage, and Ixidor wanders out into wilderness and starts using his magic, which was illusion magics of sorts, to start building like he, he starts building first he's dehydrated in the middle of this desert and he starts imagining water and draws it with some of his blood and he creates this oasis. Then he starts building all sorts of ridiculous uh, architecture in this desert area. And then he gets this idea to create a Chroma, the Angel of Wrath, or I forget what her name is in this set, but she has a card in the set, regardless. So eventually he becomes a threat to the Cabal in Oteria, and the Oteria, uh, the Cabal, and basically a Chroma goes to attack Phage because... Uh, she has this feeling like she's able to she has this link with Ixidor and she reads his dreams and she knows that Phage is an immense source of pain for him so she goes to try to attack Phage in the arena she gets away after losing her bottom two limbs and Ixidor later creates like some cat paws for her whatever it's not, not important <laughs> More about that next week when we talk about Akroma, the cat yeah. lived. <laughs> so basically after that, Kamal and the 
Patriot and Kamal and the Cabal march to fight Akroma and they fight this war and Ixidor starts drawing holes in the ground and there are these huge worms that pop up and start devouring everything and Kamal eventually slices it like there comes to a point where Jess or uh Phage and Akroma are fighting with against each other and Kamal slices into the both of them with this axe that has this powerful locus of mana from the Crozen Forest and an axe head heavily enchanted by the Cabal Patriarch. And it slices through the two of them and it creates Corona, the god of, or the false god. She's not really the god, but she's the embodiment of fate of Dominaria's magic. And this is her second brush with eternity. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> Onslaught block, whatever. Yeah. This, this story is taken entirely too long because I ramble a little bit too much here. No, Corona's story is best summed up by blah, 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 blah. And then... <laughs> now, to put it in perspective, I will not talk about Corona floor. <laughs> I just won't. Corona brings up a lot of random things that people question are canon, but we're not going to discuss them right now. Anyway, um, so eventually uh, Corona is slain once again by Kamal, and Jessica reemerges as a planeswalker, and Karn say Karn is there and they planeswalk away and she's now a planeswalker. She's later seen in the time spiral novels um, with, I believe it's just future sight. And she uses Rada as a locus of mana to close the portals because she has that new spark. Um, So yeah, that's her, that's Rada being shown on Jessica's will. But that's her thrice to be born. Uh, Kamal is a key part of that story. And this card, his green card, is an embodiment of his time as a Croatian druid, where he was heavily self-reflective and, and um, brooding on his path as a bloodthirsty barbarian. And he's woken out of his slumber by a need to uh, save his sister. But yeah, that that's that's Kamal. Brian, are you, are you happy that you finally got to talk about Otaria story stuff? I felt rushed, so no. <laughs> <laughs> when we return to Otaria, we will have a full episode where you can just tell the whole story of Otaria for the many, many people who never read those novels. I look forward to it, Chris, even though I know you're being sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, like, I I know a lot of the story, but I have never read the novels, and I really should do that. I've read them too many times to be uh, good for me. We're we're gonna move on to the next one. Uh, this is the the first of a member of a, a cycle of five partners who are all like little familiars, uh, rather than like big scary legendary creatures. And and this is Kedis, Emberclaw familiar, who's a little frilled lizard, which I think is adorable. And this is like very good flavor text here. Kedis loves molten metal, searing flames, and head scratches, which is a big mood. And so, uh, like most of the new characters, um, Kedis doesn't have a lot of lore, except that, uh, you know, he's referred to as being a Lava Mancer's familiar, and uh, the description says, a poor, dare I say, obstinate familiar can impede spellcasting. <laughs> and and both of these are a nod to the card Obstinate Familiar, which is um, the the lizard shown on uh, Grim Lava Mancer's card, and, and that that's... Uh, a, a cute little throwback here, but uh, Kedis just uh, kind of uh, 
increases your violent potential and is otherwise just a very cute fiery lizard pal and i think that's adorable uh we also have keleth sunmain familiar uh who is a horse a horse uh known as the kingmaker who just kind of shows up and is like hey you hero ride me into battle and then you win the battle and then keleth disappears and who knows uh where he goes and uh that that's kind of like the uh you know a classic magical steed trope who like shows up exactly at the right moment uh and and that's a cute little space also i would i would say that horses distributing crowns is not a good way of determining the system of government but (laughs) considering the way things have gone in the united states lately maybe we should have a horse walking around deciding who is the leader of our government hey if, if horses are valid to eat fingers they are also valid to distribute crowns I can dictate. Are they valid to eat fingers? Wait, what? Whoa, I think we're, <laughs> we're, we're making a lot of assumptions here. <laughs> uh, another new character we get from New Frexia, which I always love to see, is Keskit, the flesh sculptor, who is a, uh, a servant of Shieldred, who wants to make more Frexians in her image. He's a big time uh, sycophant that way. That that's basically all we know, but the blurb here is uh interesting because it reiterates a a little lore blurb that we got years ago uh for original Theros that Elishnorn has destroyed Shieldred's domain. And, you know, it it leaves Shieldred's survival up in the air. It doesn't clarify anything more. It's just there's nothing new in that statement. It's just interesting that they kind of re-clarified that that is a thing that happened. Uh, because that has been a point of lore that has inspired a lot of headcanons that aren't actually confirmed anywhere. Uh, and I suspect it will do that again. So, uh, yes. thank you, Keskit, for heralding a new wave of weight, but I thought Shieldred was dead. <laughs> yes yes shieldred it does not say shieldred is dead it says shieldred's domain was destroyed now shieldred may very well be dead but <laughs> this is not confirmation of that hopefully killed by cough hashtag cough watch geth would like that wouldn't he if shieldred was dead and i guess the other the, the other steel thanes yeah may i also kindly remind everybody that they nuked mirrodin and also broke the guild pact and then you just go back to the plane and suddenly everything's fixed and like not everything happened as it seemed. So it's just like if you're expecting a return to New Phyrexia where it's like, oh, Elishnorn just took over these domains and there's absolutely no resistance. It's like, no, they're still going to have five colors of magic. They're still probably going to have five factions. They're still probably overcommitting to this bit that was included in Elspeth's letter to Ajani like five to ten years ago at this point. <laughs> but... Yeah, it's like, I don't know, they have a habit of overcommitting to these things in between their returns, and then once they return, they have to walk it back just a little bit to make sure that they still have room to, you know, make cards in the set. The question is, are we going to go back to New Phyrexia, or is New Phyrexia going to come to us? Dun, 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 dun. I mean, 2020, so the latter, but... So our next card is uh, the Kodama of the East Tree. 
Now, there are, uh, in, in the flavor text of the Kamigawa set, there is a poem of the five trees. But in that set, we only get three of those trees. Now, uh, a Kodama, and I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but uh, it is a tree spirit in um, Japanese folklore, essentially, in, in, in Shintoism. So at the time, we got the Kodama of the North south and center trees but there were five so this time around we got a new kamigawa legend uh for the east tree which just leaves the west tree but it was cute i like i like these legend references that are references to other legends in in this set like i i always love to see that i also love this one because this has kodama's reach Mm -hmm. Uh. (laughs) nice Oh, I like it. Love it. We also got Crark. Uh, you might recognize from Crark Clan Iron... Uh, Clark Clan Ironworks. Is it Ironworks? What is that? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I got it right. I got it right. Good. Uh, and Crark's Thumb from the original Mirrodin set. Uh, Crark is an interesting character. His bio is is listed there. He's kind of a background lore character for 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 the plane where he was like the first goblin or potentially even the first person on Mirrodin to discover that there it was hollow uh and he got executed for it but his uh his thumb card had to do with flipping coins so his new card is very cool uh has a very cool synergy with his thumb there's also an uncard for his other thumb <laughs> uh and it's just it's just very cool synergy it's you love to see it Honestly, you just love to see it. With Crocs the Thumbless and Crocs Thumb and Crocs the Thumb, that's that's a three-card combo to make one whole goblin. A secret tech for you. If you ever get all three out at the same time in a game with me, I will declare you the winner. Next up is uh, Lisa, Shroud of Dusk. So ever since the original Innistrad block came out, uh, and specifically the wonderful, well-loved set Avacyn Restored, uh, we were introduced to three angels. We had Bruna, Gisela, and uh, Sigarda. And those three angels were uh, in that order, uh, blue, white, uh, white, red, and white, green. And then we had Avison, who was mono white. And everyone was like, cool, this is a cycle, except there's something missing. And you know how it goes. If there's a four card cycle, they have to add the fifth. They can't not add it. So we finally get the missing sister of Bruna, Gisela, and Sigarda in Lisa. Uh, t- to, to be fair, this is a character who w- also was confirmed to exist in the yes. uh, backstory uh, we learned in Shadows over Anastra. So it's not just, oh, look at the mana cost, where's the other one? Uh, although I suspect, I suspect look at the mana cost, where's the other one, is what spawned the, oh, there was another one, and now we have uh, a thing. And uh, I've been pronouncing it in my head as Lysa, we don't know. I don't. I don't know for sure. Well, Lysa was one of the four sister angels who originally defended humanity uh, before Avacyn was created by uh, Soren, and she consorted with some of the uh, demons and other evils of Innistrad. And she thought uh, bargaining with them was much more effective than trying to actually fight them. And I don't think the other sister angels really cared that much about it. Um, they were doing their own thing. But when Avison showed up, she did not want any part of that. And she deleted uh, Lysa 
just straight <laughs> up deleted her off the plane. Deleted. Yeet. Yeah, and that was the fate of the white black sister of the angels. Wow, a pagan that got murdered by the Catholic Church? What a surprise. Uh, so next up is Livio, Oathsworn Sentinel. So I picked, I wanted to talk about Livio just real briefly because he's a uh, Fioran. Uh, and you know, you all know how I love Fiora. Uh, Livio is a, um, he's a vigilante, uh, in Paliano. Uh, and he has made an enemy of Queen Marchesa, uh, because he has disrupted a few too many of her plots. She used to think it was amusing, but he started to get in the way of her, her businesses. So she wants to have a little talk with him. Now he's a new character. He hasn't been around before, but uh, I always like a new Fioran, so I wanted it's... to mention. <laughs> oh, it's a fun little game we're playing. Uh of course until you start losing and then it's oh goddamn what a menace. <laughs> I love the art on this card. I just need to point it out. This has some beautiful like just color usage the like bold black lines around it it's just a really really great piece of art it's something a little different from what we see in a lot of magic art these days next up is uh numa Juraga chieftain who this might surprise you is the chieftain of the Juraga tribe what shocked he he's a character from nissa's backstory uh nissa was born into the Juraga and is the uh last uh animist of their tribe. Uh, Numa kind of was the, uh, the cornerstone of the belief that the animists were dangerous and should be cast out of their society. He is the person who, you know, chastises Nissa's mom for dragging her along and says, Hey, cut her loose. She is summoning evil things to us. And, uh, he's generally not a great person, but, uh, that, that's basically all we see out of him. Um, I don't remember if he's alive or dead or anything. Um, it hasn't been confirmed. Or... Yeah. Uh, I want to believe that for his hubris and ignorance uh, that he was killed by Emrakul, but that's just my headcanon. Well, in general, Emrakul doesn't pass down judgment, so... <laughs> I, know, I know what you mean. I'm just kidding. All right. So next up is Nimrus, who is a reference to Una, Queen of the Fae from Lorwyn. So yet another uh, Lorwyn callback. Uh, I don't believe Nimrus was a uh, specifically named character in the novels. Uh, so it's a not as far as I'm yeah. Aware, it's though. it's a new Lorwyn character, but it's cute because it's a fairy knight. You can see it riding an insect on, uh, and the 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 Lorwyn fairies are already insectile because uh, they tend to have insect like wings and and carapace and other things. So, but it was just a cute card. Uh, I I like the um, the artwork on this a lot. That you know, it's it, it looks like they're having a stag beetle race as they're flying around. They're uh they're a bunch of hooligans like a, like a bunch of bikers, they're like a biker gang. <laughs> kind of like those fairies from uh, Onward. Yeah. So the next one gets me uh, inordinately excited. It's it's a silly thing, but it's a neat thing. I really like when these ancillary characters start connecting to one another rather than just being plain agnostic and everyone's individual. Prava brings us back to Roman Plain, which you might remember from the uh, Lycia in C-17, I think, uh, who is one of the vampire deck cards 
from C-17, the one that had uh, Edgar, Mark- Edgar Markov as the face card. So Lycia was a, uh, we'd called it vampire Roman plane back then, because Lycia was a uh, tribunus for a, um, basically a, a military leader for the legion of uh that plane. God, I can't talk right now. It doesn't have a name yet. So It doesn't have a plane. It's Roman plane. Uh, Prava directly ties into that plane as well as a military rival. So we went from a um, vampire Romans, which honestly, we already have like vampire conquistadors. So having like uh, another vampire empire wasn't all that exciting. Uh, but adding Prava into it makes things really interesting because we see a bunch of humans behind her. Uh, but Prava herself is a Leonin. So this Romanesque empire is more diverse than just a vampire, um, a vampire empire. And these two cards as well, uh, tie into Saskia the Unyielding, who may be a, uh, Gallic or Celtic analog. Uh, as Lycia and Saskia's blurbs uh, mirror each other with uh, Saskia having had her village destroyed by invaders from across the sea, and Lycia's blurb talks about how she invaded across the sea and burned a bunch of villages. Um, I don't think that's the exact wording, but that's the, the gist of it. So people connected all of those together. Yeah, I don't... I still don't 100% believe that Saskia and Lysia are connected. Um, I think that's a good hint, but a good hint is not confirmation. Let me give you the exact wording so you all know, so you all at home hear this. So at the beginning of Saskia's blurb, it says Saskia was the sole survivor of a massacre conducted against her village by an invading army from across the sea. And then if you skip to Lycia's blurb, the last line in her blurb is she led an invading force across the sea, rampaging from village to village on a merciless massacre, leaving nothing but death in her wake. So there's a lot of like language there that really mirrors each other as well. Uh, It's not confirmed that they're all from the same, but it's like very reasonable uh, assumption at this point. Obviously, it would be nice to get confirmation. Uh, I think it would be cool to see a Roman-inspired plane because there's a lot of really fundamental things that make that culture different than an ancient Greek world like Theros. Especially because, like, one the most interesting thing about Prava to me is that... Is it the rocking cat abs? Uh, it is not the cat abs. It's the fact that there's two legions of armies that are fighting each other. Which is an interesting world building detail because it's either it's either there are like multiple Romes or we're at like civil war Rome of which especially later periods of the Empire Rome had many civil wars because when you consolidate military power and you get angry at your friends you have a war about it and uh, <laughs> that that happened more than once is kind of weird so like that's just like the tiniest little world building detail that has all my creative curiosity spinning, which I think is neat. She also has rocking cat abs. They're just, they're real nice. I do not want to see this plane. I want to see this world, or a set of from this world, like slowly drip to me once every three years. <laughs> we just get one new card, one new legendary, or one new legendary creature, and then eventually... You would like that, wouldn't you? By the time I'm 50, I want it have to have been fully revealed. Yeah. I want wow. one booster pack worth of cards. That's what I want. We are on to Radiant Sarah Archangel, 
which is Radiant's second card, um, original card being from Mirage, I believe. Radiant is a character who really, <laughs> really should have been revisited during the Urza's blocks. Um, but as far as the story is concerned, was the left leader of Sarah's realm after Sarah had abandoned it, um, after Urza had kind of corrupted it. And then once Urza returns, Sarah is being, or Radiant, once Urza returns, Radiant is being guided by Phyrexian forces that have infiltrated secretly um, to kind of condemn her own citizenry. Um, not a great bit, but... She gets pretty fashy about it. Yeah, it, it goes real bad real fast, and it's all due to manipulation by the Phyrexians. Um, the important bit is she beat the shit out of Urza, <laughs> ripped out his eyes... Um, he gets them back, unfortunately, but in the end, um, Sarah's realm is evacuated and collapsed into the Power Stone, and that power lives on with the new Weatherlight, so. I like that they kept Radiant kind of a flying tribal card. That's just, like, a tiny little mechanical reference to her first card, which was, uh, Urza's, uh, block, by the way, not Mirage. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm getting confused with the other green-white archangel that was from Mirage, yeah. Yeah, um, Esmira, Holy Avenger? Esmira, Or, or yeah. something, yeah. Yeah, Radiant's card was Urza's Legacy. Yeah, just goes along with my endorsement of yet another novel, Planeswalker, by Lynn Abbey. It is very good story. It is um, Urza going batshit. It is Phyrexian Invasion setup. And then Radiant herself doesn't appear until uh, Time Streams. Really? Yeah. I'm getting this all kind yeah. of messed up. <laughs> just, just read all the Urza stories and ignore the Urzas in them and then get all the other good characters. I This card makes me sad that Sarah herself didn't have partner. Because that would have been cool to match uh, Sarah and Radiant up together. But it is. I, I have some good news for you, Jay. It's called Rule Zero. Ugh. You can do whatever you want with Commander. <laughs> Our next card is Rebecca, the spouse of Glacian, the Power Stone, uh, whatchamacallit, oh gosh. Whatever, we'll talk about him next week. So, Rebecca is an architect, is is the best way to say, I guess? Uh, her card would be called Architect of Ascension, so yes, I yeah. <laughs> that's a good way to describe her. Thank you, Chris. Um, so yes, so she is known for her her magnificent architecture and it's inspiring but she's also there to guide glacian from kind of being a total dick which he could be um but when he was infected with phyrex or phyresis i think that's how that's pronounced um Pithesis. no isn't isn't it tysis that he has yeah i, I think it, you oh is it tysis i thought it was it's something not it's else. not phyresis it's it's like it's it's spelled phyphysis but like the ph i don't know whatever he's infected with the power stone disease yeah 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 phoresic phyrex is another thing tysis is a different thing Turns out, it turns out when your villain is about diseases and eugenics, uh, a lot of diseases and eugenics-y things get thrown around in one book. So yeah, so after he fell ill, she used all of her standing in the Thran uh, civilization to get him the best uh, healers that money and power could get, 
and all of them failed. So they got they brought Yogmoth in to try to fix him. Yogmoth did not help. <laughs> he made everything worse. Um, but he was usurping power while uh, under while acting under the guise that he was trying to heal Glacian. Stupid, sexy Yogmoth. Um, in the end. There was this massive threat civil war, and uh, Rebek was the reason why Dominaria wasn't overrun by Yogmoth much, much, much sooner. I have a lore question. Did Rebek design the Null Moon, the Null Sphere? It is not explained. She designed Halcyon, which was the floating city of the Thran. Yeah, that that was my question, because. As as a huge slut for the Null Moon, I was just curious. I don't think she designed the Null. Yeah, I, I don't think that was ever clarified in the books, but I, it's been a while since I've read them, so I'd have to look. Even though I do have them on the on the desk behind me, but our next uh, legendary creature is Rogrok, son of Roga. <laughs> now you gotta say Rogrok, son of Rogra. <laughs> he is a he is a legendary creature, Kabold warrior. Uh, with a casting cost of zero and a power and toughness of zero one, uh, which is a callback to the original Kabolds of Care Keep. Uh, he is a super callback to the legend set in general, because in Legends we had the Kabolds of Care Keep, which were supposed to represent like the the little tiny minions and monsters that you fight in a dungeon. Uh, they had zero power and zero tough or one toughness. They also cost zero mana, and they had a, a couple of tribal cards in Legends. That focused specifically on kobolds. One of them was Roga of Care Keep, who was a 5-5 for 6 mana, who gave all of your creatures called Kobolds of Care Keep plus 2 plus 2. Uh, he was the leader of the Kobolds of Kobold Keep, uh, of Care Keep, excuse me, uh, who was trying to basically turn himself into their god because they all worship Prosh, and he was like, I want to be worshipped. Uh, well, Rogrok didn't like that, who is his son, and is now fighting to lead a resistance against Roga uh, to return the Kobolds of Karakeep to the path of Prosh, basically. Uh, which is really cool. He's a he's a zero mana commander with zero power and one toughness and first strike, menace, and trample, and partner. This will not end poorly. Nope, I'm already looking forward to building a deck around that card. <laughs> it's so powerful, people. <laughs> The card is going to be busted. I technically will be having a uh, Rogok commander deck, uh, but mostly I just want to make him an Ancestral Recall. But more on that later. Uh, next we have Sengir, the Dark Baron. Sengir Vampire is one of the most powerful and rem- well-remembered cards from Alpha. And by most powerful, I mean most powerful creatures. You know, uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, creatures in Alpha go from 0 to 2, and the spells go from 9 to 10. But Baron Sengir has been a fan-favorite character for a long time. Uh, from the original Sengir Vampires, from his original card in Homelands, uh, to his fantastic appearance in the Homelands comic. I love him so much. Uh, he's He's got the classic uh aristocratic manner of speech where he's really polite and sophisticated uh but also he just murders people for fun and is horrible and evil and his horses eat people good good classic vampire design but uh he he's such a powerful vampire and his bloodlines are so extensive that he was a popular uh popular companion for planeswalkers 
until he got abandoned on the plain of Algratha, where he uh, raised a dwarven city, built his uh, castle on top of its ruins, uh, siphoned mana out of the portal in the basement, and extended what he called the Dark Barony across the land. And, uh, what, tempted, uh, Ish Ishan was a Seraph uh, worshipper, right? Yeah, she was a member. Of, he he was like a paladin of the civilization that Sarah helped build on the plane. Yeah, and like vowed to kill Baron Sangir, except Baron was able to corrupt him and turn him into his own military champion. So Sangir is uh, building an army of vampires, and in the future sight novel, we get a small glimpse of the of Ishan leading a vampire army in formation uh, on on the eve of the mending and. God bless whoever wrote this uh, this blurb here. Uh, I'm pretty positive it was Ethan Fleischer. Yeah, I, I talked to Ethan a little bit about it because I I, I thanked him uh, because it ends it ends with uh, the following line: The Baron was last seen at the head of an army of vampires walking through the mysterious Dwarven Gate, a portal to another plane in the dungeons of his castle on the eve of the Great Mending. Wherever is on the other side is surely doomed. I I both thanked and yelled at Ethan for this because I have been. I started jokingly asking where does the Dwarven Gate go a long time ago, and uh, now I just honestly want to know. And I think I've asked it enough at this point that nobody is really in a rush to give me an answer or to make an answer. And I think I think it's gotten to the point where people are deliberately not answering and not thinking about it just to screw with me. It's a conspiracy. But like, I, I just love this. The card is great. Pete Venners heard about the card and was like, hey, I want to play paint Baron Sengir again so now there's a promo version with Pete Venner's art of Sengir again after like 25 years and it's amazing and uh you know this this is just another one of those cards that is just a huge love letter to the really old time Forthoses. so the next card we're going to talk about very briefly is Sienny Eye of the Storm uh Sienny is a Jeskai monk because you know in these supplemental products is how we have been getting uh, the original clans again. Uh, Sienny is just a cool looking card. She's a djinn. Uh, she's real cool. There's not really much else to say about her though. She, uh, you can, you can read in her blurb everything that exists on her. So let's move on to one of the ones this cast is most excited about that Lorelai wanted to talk about. Lorelai specifically, because I am building a commander deck for Teversat, Doom of Fools, one of my all-time favorite planeswalkers. Not there's there's no stipulation or qualifier on that statement. Of all the planeswalkers and all the errors of magic ever, Teversat is one of my favorites. Uh, he is a, a villainous planeswalker from uh, the Fallen Empires era, where his sister gets murdered by a dude who... Uh, he she turned down uh, for sex basically, uh, and and he got angry and, and killed her. And so Teversat kills him and a whole bunch of the Order of the Ebon Hand and decides, uh, my sister who I've been keeping alive for two thousand years is dead, and I have nothing left to live for. So I'm going to destroy all of Dominaria. And he spends the rest of his life trying to do so. Uh, he calls himself the Doom of Fools, that he'll bring silence. Uh, he he hastens the fall of the empires on uh, Sarpedia. He tries to intensify the Ice Age and freeze Dominaria to death. 
he uh in the Frexian invasion he tries to uh sow a bunch of chaos he's the one who turns Daragaz against the coalition and Frexian forces he tries to aid Frexians to destroy more of Dominarians he tries to sabotage Urza's plan to destroy Frexia killing Christina of the Woods and Daria before he himself is consumed by uh Urza's technology to power the soul bombs and uh he's he's just one of my favorite characters I think this card is an excellent depiction of him uh, between making the Thralls uh, as a reference to hasten the, the demise of uh, Sarpedia and the way he'll just sacrifice uh, or other people or work with them uh, and, and, and make them uh, kind of part of his evil plot. And uh, I, real quickly about the art. Uh, so pretty much all the characters in the invasion block got redesigns, visual redesigns. Uh, they're terrible. Uh, I hate... The visual identity of Invasion Block. And Tevish Sot in particular is just awful. Awful generic dragon tentacle thing. Uh, this design is specifically from the old Armada comics. And that just warms my heart so, so much to see that 25-year-old design on a magic card that I'm going to be able to hold and play with. And that's sweet as hell. Next up we have the Prismatic Piper. Kind of a interesting twist on, I mean, everything in Magic Story, really. Um, it is specifically intended for drafts when you need to access a different color. And so to kind of fix that in the lore, they have said um, that magic users just find this inspiration inside of themselves and hear this music, and it allows them to cast spells that they wouldn't normally be able to cast, um, maybe because you made a bad pick. Uh, <laughs> so they have some in-universe in fictional theories um, based on the Piper, and it is that he exists, or the pipe, the Prismatic Piper exists on all planes at once, and it has no will of its own, and it is able to be harnessed by people who just have it in a time of need. It is not exactly an extra planar creature, it's not kind of a blind eternities creature like we've seen with Eldrazi, but if the theory is true, and if they kind of commit to that bit of lore, then it is a more interesting, I guess, classification that goes along with the Eldrazi, um, the Ur-Dragon, and other creatures that are just beyond the scope of a single plane. Piper feels Ur-Dragon-y to me, but we'll see. We have uh, two more that are both new characters, so they're going to be quick. We have uh, Yurlock of Scorch Thrash, uh, who's a, a Vyashino from Jund. Uh, I think the first legendary Vyashino from Jun is... And yes. The first legendary Vyashino since Mirage? Is that true? That it might sounds be. Right. It very well might be. I know be. Zerillin was Vyashino, but that was Mirage, so that's the only one that I can think of. Yeah. From uh, Mirage's Hivis of the Claw and Zerlian of the Claw. Zerlian of the Claw. Uh, so this is the first one in 25 years? Holy crap. That's so weird because Vyashino appear, like, we've had how many, we've had nine sets set on Ravnica, which has Vyashino. We've had three on Alara and no legendary Vyashino. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Weird. Uh, so this is the card that brings Mana Burn back, which is, I think, it's like, perfect for Jund. Jund kind of has this prehistoric vibe and this lava vibe, and so it's, like, fire and dangerous and old stuff, and that's neat. And uh, Yurlock is just this hunter who leads Vyashino and hunts people in lava fields because it's really dangerous. 
and it's a good place to kill folks. Uh, and then we have uh, Zara Renegade Recruiter, who's a sky pirate from Kaladesh, who uh, is, is a revolutionary against the consulate and is known for her enthralling rhetoric. Uh, her, her big kind of uh, legend about her is uh, her ability to convince members of the consulate itself to join her pirate crew. And uh, that's cool. And girl pirates are pretty. We're 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 ending this where it began with pretty girls. <laughs> All right, that'll do it for today. So let's move on to final thoughts. Uh, my final thought is I have no final thoughts. We exist in the hell state of currently waiting on final election results. So uh, things will probably be hopefully looking up by the time this podcast comes out my final thought is that i am gay <laughs> big lesbian energy i got i got the leather jacket that i ordered i finally got in and it looks really good and i really like it and i'm very happy with it uh my final thought is so what how many things do we say like how many creatures are in karn like how many like oh karn so let's see he's got karn has the might stone and uh weak stone so that is glacian and urza uh he has zancha's heart stone uh so that's zancha that's three uh he has either venser's heart or spark one of the two it's not really clear <laughs> because... well he for sure has venser's spark. he has he has something vensery in, in him so that's four people. He probably has pieces of Gerard in him because, like, Gerard was a necessary component to activating the legacy weapon. So that's five. Um, I don't know if I'm counting that. Ramos. Ramos gave the his five power stones for uh, the Weatherlight, and th that was part of the legacy weapon, and that would have fused with Karn as well. So that's... Uh, six, but Ramos was still alive after he gave those power stones, so it's not like it was a dead person inside him, like the other five. If you read my fanfiction, Silver Piston, you'll learn a lot about Ramos and Karn's relationship. Oh, oh my God. sweet Jesus. Okay. I regret everything. <laughs> was that that was Brian's final thought. You 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 did that. I regret everything. <laughs> my final thought is uh that I, I have ex lived in an extended period of Tuesday, November 3rd. It has been Tuesday, November 3rd now for approximately like 72 hours. I would like for it to stop being Tuesday, November 3rd. <laughs> I've never looked forward to a Wednesday more in my entire life than when this one will be over. Uh, Carrie? Well, I'm just, I'm just going to make a pizza after this. Oh, I forgot that earlier in this podcast, I got Jay to read uh, the name of a troll from Home Homestuck. Uh, and I think that's a victory for all of us. <laughs> I've never read Homestuck. Or I, I don't know anything about it. All, all I know about it is like splash damage from people talking about it on like Tumblr or something. No cool quips. If you like our show, go support us on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash the Vorthos cast. You get on our Discord has lots of Vorthoses just like you on it. It's great. Do it. Yeah. Thank you all for listening. This has been a very long episode of the Vorthos cast. <laughs>